Midnight Facts for Insomniacs. <laughs> I just learned something. Oh, I'm having fun now. The word kissing briefly became osculation before coming back into fashion. Probably when someone said the words osculate me, darling. And it, it was, sounded way more dirty. It was probably stabbed to death with a fucking potato peeler. Jesus, oscillate me? If you say, baby, I want to oscillate you all night long, she's calling the police. Yeah, it sounds filthy. Yeah. So this should be a fun one. <laughs> you always say that. <laughs> and then I have a chill run through my body. I, I don't believe your face. Well, this proves that you don't always, you, you haven't really learned me yet. You're definitely not uh, feeling my vibe. Because no, I'm being serious. You're right. Since I was 16, I have not learned you yet. <laughs> well, here's the evidence because okay. I'm All being right. serious right now. This is one of those topics I did not think was going to be an episode. I put it in the poll as kind of an afterthought. And in retrospect, I totally should have known that this would be a landslide victory. Is that uh, Miffy written all over it? Uh, well, the insomniacs are just as juvenile as we are, so <laughs> I should have known. <laughs> all right. I'm getting happier. When it comes to our sense of humor, at least, we are all around 15. We max out at 15, I think. Uh, yeah, max. You're <laughs> right. Max out at 15 is perfect. So buckle up. We are doing this. This is the history of profanity. <laughs> Yay! I was not lying. No, you weren't. This one will be fun because we do tend to swear a lot. Well, yeah, I swear a lot and you say things like the F hit the S. I'm classy. Mm. Yeah. One of them, extend the pinky hose. I got it. (laughs) Well, I do like to think that there is a decent amount of wittiness shoehorned in with the filth that is this podcast. Uh, That's fair. Yeah. I don't provide a lot of it. So this episode probably isn't going to be what some of the insomniacs who voted for it thought it was going to be. Mm. I'm not going to go the full low road on this. I don't want to just talk about the word fuck and where it comes from and say fuck a bunch of times. There is a TV show that does that. Mm. I don't know if you saw the Netflix series, The History of Swear Words, hosted by Nicolas Cage. I tried to watch the first episode. I couldn't make it through it just because he seemed so out of his mind. I didn't watch very many episodes of it. I think what bothered me the most, though, had less to do with, like, how he was acting. I found his aggressively dyed beard to be very distracting. Of course you would. (laughs) I find it weird when a guy has, like, a craggy face, like age lines, and then this mass of solidly black or brown facial hair. Mm. It's like a chin toupee. (laughs) A really obvious one. It's like a Lego person beard. Like, he just snapped it on. Let's just call it what it is. It's a chin merkin. Yeah. Yeah, just let your chin get old, dude. Yeah. It's fine. So anyway, we're not going to be rehashing that Netflix show. You can go watch it if you like and, you know, just ignore the beard. Hmm. Instead, we're going to talk about where profanity comes from, how we use it, why we use it, and why George Carlin's seven dirty words never gets old. Nope, ever. But we're going to at least attempt to keep it tasteful, like we always do. (laughs) And if he is a dignified and refined podcast. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) The hell you say. <laughs> and speaking of the hell you say, mm-hmm. and goddammit, mm-hmm. the word profanity itself comes from the Latin word profanus, derived from the prefix pro, meaning before or outside of, and phanum, meaning temple. And so, the suffix anus. <laughs> it's, it's all you fixated on. And that's why I was worried about doing this episode. <laughs> I'm going to try to keep it classy, and it's been, what, 30 seconds we've already failed. <laughs> Didn't last long. I mean, you know who I am. So pro for outside, phantom meaning temple. So outside of temple, outside of God, outside of godliness. Basically like taking the Lord's name in vain. So profanity was originally like blasphemy light. 
Mm-hmm. Not a full-on bitch slap to the face of God, just mildly disrespectful. This is like a white claw of profanity. Right. Hmm. We've talked about how people tried to find a loophole via substitutions, like shouting, by Jove, or gosh. A common swear word for years actually was zounds, Z-O-U-N-D-S, a shortening of the phrase God's wounds, referring to the crucifixion of Jesus. Who is shortening God's wounds to zounds? Uh, yeah, people really slurred their words back in the day. Was, like, how drunk were you? God's wounds. <laughs> but I have to say, like, yelling God's wounds, that is pretty blasphemous. You know, maybe don't shout about the torture and murder of your Savior every time you bang your knee on a table or whatever. Well, you, of all people, will recall the thing we did about the, uh, you know, the funny bone. I'm, I'm pretty sure you would yell God's wounds after banging your funny bone. I probably would. The Lord could have made knees and elbows indestructible, but instead he went a different route. He created pain and sharp corners of tables. So like God's dick. Yeah, yeah. So as Christianity became more puritanical, words related to copulation or defecation were deemed increasingly naughty. And that includes even seemingly harmless references to anatomy. For instance, the poultry terms, uh, white meat and dark meat, evolved out of a desire to avoid having to mention breasts and limbs. Why am I suddenly turned on by the visions of chicken? I blame you. Similarly, the word sweating was considered sexual and dirty. It was replaced by perspiring, while kissing briefly became osculation before coming back into fashion, probably when someone said the words osculate me, darling, and it sounded way more dirty. And was promptly stabbed to death with a fucking potato peeler. Jesus, osculate me? If you say, baby, I want to osculate you all night long... She's calling the police. Yeah, it sounds filthy. Yeah. It's also like three times as many syllables. Yeah. And Kiss. Oscillate. That's, it tends to be how it goes. And George Carlin had a whole bit about this, mm-hmm. and how we tend to sanitize language by also like taking all the brevity out of it. The longer you make it and the more sort of medical sounding. Oh, the shell shock bit. Yeah, like yeah, shell shock. Yeah. Like it, the more that it becomes sterile. It, does, it sounds like a medical procedure. And I don't want to be oscillated at all. It, it, what it sounds like is, remember those treatments we talked about in curing uh, mental disease? Like, if you were being spun in a chair, you sound like you're being oscillated. No. Unpleasant. Mm-mm. No matter what. No. So clearly, so-called bad words can be completely arbitrary. The word tummy, in fact, began as a substitute for the word belly, which was considered too erotic. I think maybe because bellies dance and tummies don't. Bellies are just slutty tummies. That's what a belly is. You slutty, slutty tummy, you. But uh, I I do want to say, based on what we were just talking about, I really do want to hear, if anyone out there knows the dead language that well, I want to hear spoken Latin porn, because that was what all the doctor's manuals and names were were made out of. So if you can be like, quizar hutje est, bitterest guy, like, I don't even know how to do Latin. That's kind of hot. (laughs) I'm into it. You you got a chubby? (laughs) You can... You can do Latin porn. Uh, ASMR. Yeah. ASMR. Yeah. yeah. Et tu, Brute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that doing it for you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm down. So we're going to come back to this theme again and again in this episode. Language is constantly in a state of flux, hmm. and profanity is 100% arbitrary. Yeah. The fluctuating nature of what qualifies as profanity is very similar to the concept of the Overton window. Are you familiar with the window of discourse? I've been defenestrated by it, I'm sure. It's not a physical window. It is the idea that there is a spectrum of acceptability when it comes to ideas, words, and concepts. And the spectrum ranges from unacceptable to popular and mainstream. Mm 
Hmm. So, for instance, there was a time when the idea of segregation was acceptable in America. It was very popular. But today, if you proposed a whites-only water fountain, that would be totally unthinkable because the Overton window has thankfully shifted. Hmm. Okay. Language is similar. For example, when Gone with the Wind was released, the nation was scandalized at Clark Gable's Rhett Butler informing Scarlett O'Hara that, frankly, he didn't give a damn. And today, damn is a word that you could probably say anywhere in America and would not be a problem. I've heard it used in church. Exactly. So the modern version of profanity, in America at least, is racism and sexism and bigotry. Those are the things and the concepts that are now considered profane, mm. as opposed to what we call profanity, which is words that are, again, just peppering speech. They're just expletives. Right. The real F word in America is not fuck. It is the yeah. slur for homosexual. That is the real F word these days. Bundle of sticks. For some reason, yeah. You could say fuck at a work party. You cannot bust out with the other F word unless you're sure there are no cameras present and you already have a new job lined up. <laughs> I was going to say, hopefully they're cool with you saying that at your new job. There's just so much about swearing that has to do with context. In that Nicolas Cage History of Swear Words show, I did find one thing interesting. They talked about the word dick. Hmm. On network television, you can't refer to an actual penis as a dick. You can't say, look at my dick. And you certainly can't then follow through. <laughs> But you can talk about someone being a jerk and refer to them as being a dick. So comedian Nikki Glazer pointed out that if you said on network television, my dick is a dick, they would bleep out only the first instance of the word. So it would say, my bleep is a dick. So it's not the word itself, it's how you use it. Hmm. Same with the F word I mentioned. In England, fag just means a cigarette. Yeah. People say it all the time. But here, as you pointed out, that word will get you fired for sure. Or sacked, if we're sticking with British slang. Yeah, that's fair. that's fair. Or made redundant. All of my British slang comes from the British version of The Office. Yeah. That's where I, yeah. So traditionally, words for genitalia have been the most common forms of profanity worldwide. Hmm. In China and Russia, words for the male and female sex organs are common forms of swearing, but the word for female organ is usually the more forbidden one. And that tracks, at least in America, where... Dick is pretty mild, while the C word, again, probably mm. the strongest swear word available, and borders on, like, hate speech. If you call a woman the C word, that's pretty rough. Expect a slap, or again, or a firing. Yeah. When it comes to insults, historically the most effective have, unsurprisingly, targeted the fragile male ego, anything emasculating. For instance, in ancient Rome, we meet our old friend Iromatio. Threatening a man with a sexual act in which he was in the passive position was considered the height of verbal violation. Or, I guess, oral violation. For instance, the Roman uh, poet Catullus famously responded to charges of being effeminate by exclaiming, Pedicabo eg vos et irumabo, uh, threatening oral and anal rape, basically. Got you. Okay. I do want to try and read that sentence later. Uh, as my uh, ASMR. So please highlight that formula. Accusing a Roman of performing cunnilingus was also incredibly insulting. Only a sucker would want to please his partner. <laughs> Horny women with time machines avoid Rome. Avoid most of history, I would say. True. Swear words aren't just received differently than normal words by the target of an insult or the witness to a swearing incident. They're actually processed differently by the brain of the person doing the swearing. As opposed to standard speech, which is produced in the left hemisphere close to the surface of the brain, quote, swearing is generated much deeper in the brain. In regions that are older and more primitive in evolutionary terms, these regions are often found in the right hemisphere in the brain's emotional center, the limbic system, unquote. 
Both Alzheimer's disease and strokes target the left hemisphere of the brain, and as a result, many patients who have experienced brain damage and lost their ability to speak normally can still swear. Which is a plus for every nurse ever? It's entertaining, at least. And it gives them an outlet. Like, I would rather be able to at least yell profanity than not say anything at all, because the fact that I couldn't say anything at all would make me want to yell profanity. So at least I would have that to release. There's a feedback loop here, I feel. Mm -hmm. Quote, often cited is a 19th century stroke case in which a patient with brain damage lost the ability to form and understand speech, a condition known as aphasia, but he was able to swear, saying, quote, I fuck, unquote. Sounds like bragging. It sounds like just a personal report on the evening. (laughs) So the Overton window shifts organically over time. But who gets to decide when a word or concept or phrase is so offensive that it's actually illegal to utter? Let's talk about who has historically had the power to decide which words and concepts are considered profane and the organizations responsible for keeping all those naughty words from infecting the vulnerable public. I'm going to vote religiosity here. Well... It's been a long time since religion had the ability to pass any laws. Hmm. But I think that the laws that have been passed certainly are based on puritanical ideas of religious censorship. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, but every modern country in the world regulates speech and expression to some extent. There's no fully free society. For instance, in most countries, threats of violence are illegal. Hmm. In America, those threats must be, quote, credible, real and imminent. So if, for example, you threaten to blow up the world unless your bartender doesn't bring your drink to you immediately, no reasonable person hearing that would believe the threat was real. On the other hand, if you walk into a store and threaten to shoot the clerk unless she gives you a refund, such a threat is credible and specific, unquote. Hmm. I'm honestly a little more scared of the world blowing up guy. (laughs) Because that drunk, you don't know where he was before he came in to get drunk. He could have been building bombs. That's the thing. It's like a real and targeted threat. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I know how to handle this, right? Like, I will call the cops. I will defend myself. I will get in. Like, if someone is threatening to blow up the world, they're either like a supervillain, in which case, you know, real scary, (laughs) or they're crazy, in which case possibly even scarier because they're unpredictable. You know what they're going to do. Surreal threats, very scary. Yes. Yeah. If someone threatens to stab you in the neck with a chihuahua, look down. (laughs) Right? (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Like like you said, I'm not scared if someone's like, you know, I'm going to punch you in the face. Like, I am worried I'm going to get punched in the face, but it seems like that's potentially the worst thing on the table right now. Right. (laughs) If someone says I'm going to blow up the world, there's a large spectrum of possibilities that may occur. Right. (laughs) And I don't don't know that I'm prepared. Yeah. I don't want to be part of your world, sir. (laughs) Philosophically, what are we talking about? Exactly. But as I mentioned, every country has similar restrictions on speech. They're not all the same, but they all similarly have restrictions on speech. So in Germany, for instance, it's illegal to deny the Holocaust. In Austria, it's illegal to call the prophet Muhammad a pedophile. What? Illegal and also uh, accurate. He was, when he was 53, the prophet Muhammad married and consummated his marriage to a 10-year-old girl. But, you know, Overton window. It was... Overton window sounded like you were actually arguing for they were over 10. He missed the over 10 window. And I was thoroughly confused for a few milliseconds. I did not put that together. But no, I'm talking about the Overton window. Uh, You know, like back in the day, you couldn't take the Lord's name in vain, Mm. but you could totally fuck kids. So times change. (laughs) You couldn't take the Lord's name in vain, but you could fuck kids. Another reason to avoid time machines. So every country is different, but we're going to focus on America for obvious reasons. Mm. And we've mentioned this before, but the First Amendment right to freedom of speech from the American Constitution does not allow for obscenity. 
It also doesn't cover yelling fire in a crowded theater, or the aforementioned threats, or engaging in slander. So we Americans have 100% freedom of speech unless you pull a prank or say something mean that hurts another person's reputation or say something that a judge arbitrarily decides is gross. Uh, okay. I feel on very shaky ground, right? My point is we don't have freedom of speech. Oh, right. That is an absolute myth, and it's confounding to me that Americans actually believe that we do and have convinced a good part of the world that America is this beacon of freedom. From the United States Department of Justice, quote, Obscenity is not protected under First Amendment rights to free speech, and violations of federal obscenity laws are criminal offenses. The U.S. courts use a three-pronged test, commonly referred to as the Miller test, to determine if given material is obscene. So what is the Miller test? It's also known as the three-prong obscenity test, and it has, as you might imagine, four parts. <laughs> Somebody didn't study for that one. No, it has three. That, no. that would be stupid. <laughs> Prong number one is whether the average person applying contemporary community standards would find that the work, taken as a whole, appeals to the prurient interest. Define prurient. Define anything in there. What are community <laughs> standards? Whose community? Right. Who is the average person? Define average. Mm. Yeah. Is the average, average in San Francisco versus the average in LA versus the average in Austin versus the average in Ohio. And what are we even talking about? Average? Right. Are we talking about race, age, uh, gender? What is the average person? Right. doesn't even make sense. Second prong, whether the work depicts or describes in a patently offensive way sexual conduct or excretory functions specifically defined by applicable state law. I love patently offensive, like patently based on whose decision. Right. Patently to whom? Right. To old white guy in black robe? Exactly. Yeah. Third, whether the work taken as a whole lacks serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value. Oh, wow. As determined by the same mm -hmm. aforementioned white guy in a robe. We've talked about the Overton window and how it shifts. And in this case, the law actually shifts along with the Overton window. Because judgments are based on whatever is considered culturally unacceptable at the time, or at least unacceptable to the particular segment of culture inhabited by that particular judge at that particular time. Exactly. Stand-up comedians have frequently been targeted by obscenity laws. There is a long history of clashing with the metaphorical morality police, which often take the form of the literal police. Yeah, Lenny Bruce or Bill Hicks, the people who just sort of pushed the window of, eh, can you say this? Lenny Bruce fought the law. And the law won, at least in the short term. Uh, quote, in 1963, Manhattan District Attorney Frank Hogan, who was working with Francis Cardinal Spellman, the Archbishop of New York, began to investigate Lenny Bruce. Undercover police detectives attended his two 1964 appearances at Cafe Agogo in Greenwich Village, and they arrested him on obscenity charges after each show. When he was free on parole during his appeal, Bruce died of a drug overdose in 1966 at age 40. The New York Court of Appeals overturned his conviction in 1970. Totally useful for dear Bruce, but, you know. Four years after he was in the ground. Mm. Sorry about that whole harassment and persecution over a couple of jokes situation. Yeah. That was, that was awkward. And also, please don't look into that whole separation of church and state thing. The district attorney was working with the archbishop. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. They were, yeah. obviously, there was some uh, undue influence yeah. by the church on that. I didn't know this. Guess which other comedian got arrested at one of Lenny Bruce's performances? Please tell me George Carlin. Please tell me George Carlin. Quote, cops ID'd everyone in the audience, and when they got to a young George Carlin, he told them he didn't believe in government IDs. He was hauled down to the station in the same wagon as Bruce. 
Of course, he said he didn't believe in government IDs. We will get to Carlin soon. Okay. So many other comedians and performers have also incorporated legal boundary-pushing material into their acts. For instance, famous actress and sex symbol Mae West was jailed for 10 days after writing, producing, and starring in a play that was deemed obscene. The play was called Sex. (laughs) <laughs> she, she was not trying to be subtle. Wherein lies the obscenity here? A tempting fate there. Yeah, really. And that was often the case. Many artists were intentionally violating these laws in order to potentially get them overturned via legal challenges, or at least to, you know, bring publicity and attention to the issue. Right. Jim Morrison of The Doors, do you remember this? He was arrested after a profane performance in which he was accused of exposing a little Jimmy. Mm. Yeah. His little Jimmy in specific. Yeah, it would have been worse if he would just, you know... Exposed a random little Jimmy. <laughs> Wheeled out an orphan and then <laughs> shoveled him back off backstage. That, that would only fly back in the Muhammad days. Mm. Yeah. Hugh Hefner was charged with obscenity in 1963 for, I guess, obvious reasons. But that's kind of hilarious now if you think about what's available on the internet today. <laughs> yeah. But of all the art forms, I think it's stand-up comedy that probably provides the best example of shifting societal norms. Because many of the comedy bits that got Lenny Bruce in trouble could have easily shown up on HBO specials a few years later with, like, no controversy whatsoever. They wouldn't have even been a big deal. Absolutely. They also wouldn't have gotten any laughs because, just like the definition of obscenity, the cultural sense of humor shifts as well. Right. I'm going to play a short Lenny Bruce clip. I don't think this one will get us in trouble for copyrights. only, like, 10 seconds Mm. from the album What I Was Arrested For. If you've uh, ever seen this bit before, I want you to tell me. Stop me if you've seen it. I'm going to piss on you. (laughs) Yeah, this is a different time. (laughs) (laughs) I honestly felt a a little bit like I'd, I'd... Walked in on somebody like I felt like I should close the door and apologize. Like I'm going to piss on you. I'm I'm sorry. I walked into the wrong room. Click. People loved it. That was uh, the height of comedy. Mm. I wish audiences were as easy now as yeah. they were then. Apparently, mm. if I just had to walk on stage and threaten to piss on the audience, and they just all laughed and they loved me, I'm honestly envious. <laughs> My life would be so much easier if comedy audiences were receptive to threats of urination, to threats of golden showers. <laughs> yeah. Different time. Mm. So that wasn't the part that he got arrested for. I will play in the Patreon version a longer clip. I'll play the specific bit that actually got him in trouble. It's titled, To is a preposition, come is a verb. And it involved banging on a drum and ringing a bell and chanting, Did you come good? And then I can't come over and over. The full clip will be on Patreon. Uh, I'm going to play this just for you, just so you know what we're working with here. All right. Well, proof that humor is subjective. And part of that is you actually laughed at some of that, which I don't understand because I don't get any of that. I do not understand the humor there. It, it, it made me laugh on a couple levels because I'm almost 100% certain that I've had that very same conversation that he was just sort of playing out with the words come and good come and did you come good um, with ex-girlfriends. And one of the funnier things was some of it in the middle sounded loving. Like it was like, Oh, I came so good because I love you. It was hilarious to me. And then, then it was like, I can't come. I was like, Oh yeah. Whiskey dick is a bitch. Wow. See, I would have left. Uh, I did, none of this is funny. He's just saying, did you come good? Did you come? And he's hitting a bell and hitting a drum. And I just couldn't be more upset. 
I just want to want to throw things. I understand the whole like tomato thing. I've never yeah. wanted to throw a tomato mm. at a performer, mm. but at that point, I'd be looking around for produce. So just a few years later, in the late 70s and 80s, uh, chanting, I can't come in a comedy special would have been fine from a legal perspective. He wouldn't have gotten in trouble for that at all. But today, the Overton window has shifted again. And even though all of the material from those decades would still be technically legal, many of the comedy specials from the 80s, like Eddie Murphy's Delirious, would be completely unacceptable today. What with the raging homophobia and misogyny. Yeah, it was kind of hard to rewatch that recently um, when I did, but... Some of it is still funny, but it just... There are funny parts, and I love Eddie Murphy, but those specials are super cringy in the context of today. Yep. So let's get a little more granular and look at how obscenity laws have traditionally been formulated and applied. Mm. It wasn't until the development of public broadcasting via radio and television, and now the internet, that speech could be piped directly into people's homes. So naturally, the government had to find ways to control these new mediums. The first publicly available long-distance communication device was the radio. I mean, you know, there's also the... the you know, there was the telegraph, which mm. was censored primarily by inconvenience. Yeah. <laughs> Communicating by telegraph was a laborious process of tappy-tap-tapping, right. and adding random curse words to a message would have been an exercise in impressive determination. I mean, I, I look at it more like the reason why fuck became so popular was because so many people in the Telegraph were trying to say, I want to make love to you. And it was like, I can't afford that. That's an extra nickel. Fuck it. I'll just put fuck. So it was the proliferation of radio that first allowed audio messages to be sent directly into individual homes via broadcast programming. And the first attempt to control radio communication was the Radio Act of 1912, which established the requirement of licenses for radio stations, licenses which could, of course, be revoked, mm. but not typically due to content. At that point, radio was really just used by the government and the military, so no one was, like, freestyling or trying to be edgy. Mm. <laughs> there was no happy Harry Hardon yet. Mm. Pump up the volume reference. That's what's up. Great, terrible movie. It's so horrible and so awesome. One of the awesome, most really respectable romantic kisses I've ever seen on film. I don't remember it. I just remember that he had a little jumping uh, penis next to his... My mom had that same wind-up toy. Really? It was called The Jolly Jumping Peter. That movie definitely is, subconsciously, is part of the reason I wanted a podcast, mm. I'm sure. It did hit me at a very impressionable time, mm. and uh, I thought it would be very cool to say filthy things to lots of people. And now you do. Thus, stand-up comedy and <laughs> podcasting. <laughs> so the establishment of commercial radio stations in the 20s spawned the Radio Act of 1927, which created the Federal Radio Commission. Stations were now required to prove that they were, quote, in the public interest, unquote, in order to be licensed. In 1934, the federal government wiped the slate clean and created a brand new organization that we all know today, the Federal Communication Commission. The FCC was given the power of levying fines for indecency and obscenity and revoking licenses, if necessary, to protect the fragile ears and brains of vulnerable Americans. Yeah. That power would be put to the test Long after radio was no longer the dominant force in media, on October 3rd, 1973, radio station WBAI, W-B-I-E, 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 sounds like you doing a Christopher Walken impression. Bye, W-B-I-E, welcome to bye. W-B-I-E in New York aired a news segment discussing societal attitudes toward language, and as part of the broadcast, they played comedian George Carlin's Seven Dirty Words routine. And the fallout would eventually reach the Supreme Court. Those seven words, according to Carlin, are shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. 
To avoid any copyright issues, we're not going to put a clip of it on the main feed, but we will include one on the Patreon feed because I'm not particularly worried about getting taken down by Patreon. And uh, it's a classic. It's still, you know, a lot of George Carlin stuff I do watch and doesn't hold up as much. It was a different time, Mm. but he's still, he just has a good delivery. He's a funny guy. Yeah. I always love the way that he would do things that, yeah, they don't age well in terms of like, you know, uh, salient information. Like it's, it's not popping right now, but it still makes you think and makes you laugh. Yeah, and I really, I just liked his attitude on stage. Yeah. He was, and as he got older, it became a little more like grumpy old man just yelling. You know, old man yells at cloud, and the cloud was the audience. But right. he was really, he was always really smart. And sometimes it was just profane for no reason. But what an amazing, brilliant guy he was. So here's how the whole Supreme Court situation went down. On one sunny Tuesday in 1973. And again, I, was gonna say. I don't know if it was actually sunny. I just <laughs> artistic license. Just like in the rivalries episode, I'm going to be adding dubious weather details to all of my stories for flavor. This was Santa Monica, so it was, it was probably sunny. I think Rosie, my odds are good. Yeah. Anyway, on a sunny Tuesday in Santa Monica in the year of our Lord 1973, on the day before Halloween, I guess it was a, a brisk sunny day. John Douglas and his 15-year-old son were driving from Yale University in Connecticut to New York. Quote, Douglas, a CBS executive and a member of the pornography watchdog group called Morality in Media, was flipping through the radio when he landed on 99.5 WBI-FM. Paul Gorman, the host of WBI's Lunch Pail Afternoon program, warned listeners that he was about to play Carlin's Filthy Words bit, a modified version of the seven dirty words, and that some of the language could be deemed as offensive. Unquote. Mm. Notably... Douglas did not change the channel. That's kind of on you, bro. <laughs> you were given a warning. If if somebody flashes across the screen, dude, turn your kids away. We're about to watch someone be beheaded. And you don't? The radio station is basically like, we're going to play something absolutely filthy. And if you are easily offended, I recommend you turn off your radio. And he was like, funny you should mention it. I am easily offended. Proceed. A month later... Douglas filed a complaint with the FCC calling the monologue garbage. This is what he told the Chicago Sun Sentinel in 2008, shortly after Carlin's death. He said, I didn't turn him in. I was turning in WBAI. I hope Carlin haunted him. Truly. And just said those seven words over (laughs) and over as a mantra. Into his ear every (laughs) night like a mosquito. (laughs) Tits. The case eventually made its way to the Supreme Court, where Carlin's bit was declared indecent but not obscene, yet the court still ruled 5-4 in favor of the FCC's right to censor indecent content between the hours of 6 a.m. and 10 p.m. because children might be listening. Guess no one is worried about insomniac children who stay up late listening to podcasts. All of the midnight masses are a lost cause. Oh, we've known that for a while, though. We've been on the Discord. Come on now. Fans of our show are so twisted. Yeah. You get all the the indecent content after 10 p.m. We're all up late. So the comedy bit that got Carlin in trouble is also known as the seven words you can't say on television. Because like radio, television was also under the purview of the FCC. The official code of practices for television broadcasters was issued in 1952. And it covered a lot more than seven words. Hmm. Quote, The code prohibited the use of profanity, the negative portrayal of family life, irreverence for God and religion, illicit sex, drunkenness and biochemical addiction, presentation of cruelty, detailed techniques of crime, the use of horror for its own sake, and the negative portrayal of law enforcement officials. 
So every show I enjoy. I challenge any one of our listeners to find something on Netflix that doesn't violate that. It just gave them total control. Yeah. Like literally anything you did on TV could be considered profane and illegal. And it's like, wait a minute. You know, you did not show proper respect to that police officer. We're pulling this episode. Right. So the code went even further than that, describing how performers could dress and even how they had to move in order to be with the, quote, bounds of decency. <laughs> I would have loved to have tangoed across the screen just a little <laughs> too flash dancey and just fucked with everybody. I'm sorry, sir. Could you, I don't know, Victorian up a bit? That plie was a little, uh, a little deep there and a little low. A little, little hoey. Could, could you unho that be dropping it like it's hot. <laughs> On our family TV show? Yeah. Also, and this one blew my mind, news reporting was to be, quote, factual, fair, and without bias. Mm. And commentary and analysis should be, quote, clearly defined as such. It was a different time. The fairness doctrine, as it was known, was abolished in America by the Republican-led FCC in 1989, and an attempt to reinstate it legislatively was vetoed by Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Why does that make so much sense to me? Not everyone is entitled to fairness. That just that wouldn't be fair. You got to earn fairness in this country. You can't just all have fairness. Some people deserve more fairness than others. Look, you got to bootstrap that fairness and that's fair. People at the top get a little more fairness. They've worked harder and uh, you know, it's the trickle-down theory of fairness. Eventually it makes its way to the bottom. And that's fair. So we haven't discussed movies. Film obviously came before television, and you might have heard of the Hayes Code, which governed the content of American movies from 1930 until the late 1960s. Hmm. The Hayes Code is amazing. There is no better example of the Overton window in action. It prohibited multiple forms of speech and expression. First, vulgarity, quote, the treatment of low, disgusting, unpleasant, though not necessarily evil subjects should always be subject to the dictates of good taste and in regard for the sensibilities of the audience. I can't even decipher that, and I'm vaguely intelligent. Basically says, make sure that you maintain good taste in all your depictions of disgusting vulgarity. Nope, still not, it's still not braining. I don't, that doesn't make any sense. Also forbidden, in addition to vulgarity, obscenity, of course, mm. quote, obscenity in word, gesture, reference, song, joke, or by suggestion, even when likely to be understood only by part of the audience, is forbidden. So I guess, but most of our audience is stupid. It wasn't an acceptable defense. <laughs> I assume they meant kids. I yeah. think it was like you can't make jokes for adults in a kids show, even if the kids won't get it. But that's, what's the point? I mean, I, I'm more just thinking about Disney these days, which is, you know, Disney Disneying. Yeah. Pixar would go out of business if that law were still in effect. Because that's the whole thing. Because like, yeah. otherwise parents are fucking miserable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not bringing my kids. I don't have kids, but I certainly wouldn't bring them to a movie unless there's going to be some dick jokes that they don't get. I'm not bringing my kids. I mean, not my kids. Just the kids I stole off the playground on the way. I'm not bringing all of the kids I have abducted to see a movie that might be uh, offensive to them. Hmm. Yeah, I don't want uh, these children that I've kidnapped to be traumatized by a Pixar movie. These highly sensitive <laughs> children that I've kidnapped. But really, you got to throw the adults a few bones. Like, that's what I like about Pixar movies is that they that don't look at me that way. Phrasing. <laughs> you can do what I meant. <laughs> You got to, like, appeal to the parents, too, because yes. they have to sit through this crap. You know that every movie you put out, they're going to have to watch on Disney+. Plus. So you better throw some jokes in there that the kids don't get. The parents can, like, nudge each other. They have to at least be able to sit next to each other and be like, <laughs> In addition to vulgarity and obscenity, profanity was, of course, also strictly forbidden in the Hays Code. And that includes the words, 
God, Lord, Jesus, Christ, unless used reverently, of course, hell, S-O-B, damn, and God, G-A-W-D. God. God. So don't try to get around the God band by just extending the vowels. Don't try and get around this God band being all Southern. God. God knows what you meant. You can't say it differently and sneak one past the Lord. Enforcement of the Hayes Code gradually dwindled in the 50s and 60s with the rise of counterculture and also competition from all of those dirty foreign movies that started doing well. Mm. I'm looking at you, France. <laughs> Filthy heathen foreign directors putting pressure on American filmmakers by competing for theater goers. And you can't really compete if they get to swear and we don't. Which right. Are you, which are people going to want to watch? They're going to watch people say fuck and fuck. Yes, and show way more skin. Eventually, it became clear that the government couldn't stop movies from being dirty, but they could at least restrict access and warn the public about what to expect when they went. So in 1968, the Hayes Code was officially replaced by a rating system devised and overseen by the MPAA, the Motion Picture Association of America, Mm -hmm. a rating system that is 100% bonkers and makes zero sense. Sweet. Have at it. I do not understand the rating system. Like Temple of Doom, that was PG. Mm-hmm. You could show a beating heart ripped out of a chest, mm-hmm. but you cannot show a boob. So a lady's naked chest, not okay. You can't show what's under a shirt, but if you tear open the actual chest, you can show what's under the skin. I guess you just have to skip a layer. <laughs> yeah, the MPAA had a problem with dermis, really, was the problem. You can show shirt or rib cage, just skip the flesh. Yeah. I, I also do love the fact that some asshole in the MPAA was thinking, well, yeah, but if my kid sees that and sees a boob, I'm going to have to have the sex conversation. Whereas if he simply sees someone's heart getting ripped out, I'd just be like, that's a crazy person and I can move on with my day. That seems like a conversation you should have with a kid Mm. at some point in their life. It's like you do the birds and the bees and then you do the don't rip people's hearts out conversation, which also fairly important. I've actually written that out. I have notes at home. You do? For your future child? Yes. So we've covered some of the history of profanity and who, at least in America, gets to define and regulate it. Now let's talk about the functions of swearing. Like, why do we do it? Quote, according to Steven Pinker, there are five possible functions of swearing. Number one, abusive swearing, which is intended to offend, intimidate, or otherwise cause emotional or psychological harm. You dumb motherfucker. I'm just going to use the word motherfucker to illustrate all of these. Mm. So next we have cathartic swearing, which is used in response to pain or misfortune. So my life. Motherfucker. Yeah. Is what that is. (laughs) Thank you for instructing me on that. Apparently I've been using it wrong this entire time. Well, there's also dysphemistic swearing, as you, of course, know. Uh, Yes. What? Used to convey that the speaker thinks negatively of the subject matter and to make the listener do the same. Fuck this motherfucker. (laughs) Got it. Then there's emphatic swearing, intended to draw additional attention to what is considered to be worth paying attention to. Fuck this motherfucker. (laughs) Right here. Not that motherfucker. This one in particular. Right. Got it. Idiomatic swearing, used for no other particular purpose, but as a sign that the conversation and relationship between speaker and listener is informal. Motherfucker. And then finally, there's coprolalia, which is an occasional characteristic of tic disorders. That's like involuntary swearing. Totally different. That's someone who can't control themselves due to disorders. So those are all the ways that you can swear. I I feel like there's more than that. I feel like, again, we even covered a few that weren't included there. Yeah. But profanity just has so many functions. Yes. It is very utilitarian. It is universal. 
and uh, fun also. Yes. Most importantly. Absolutely. And I, I believe Mythbusters actually even did a, an episode on this where they had people stick their hands in ice cold water. Like literally there's ice in it. And they had to hold it in there for something like five minutes or something like that. And they did it. The control group couldn't swear, couldn't make any noise at all, or could just yell like, you know, my little pony, dog lily, guitar. And they just, you know, whatever. And then they did another group that could swear. And the people who could swear could last a little bit longer. Yeah, it's, it's you know, you're getting it out. Right. It's like a very it's a cathartic. cathartic. Yeah. And it's interesting to me, though, that like yelling my little point, because I feel like some in some ways it's just yelling a word and it kind of doesn't matter. But I guess it does. I guess for us, we have some connection to those words through growing up with them where they mean something to us. And when you yell fuck, that is more cathartic than yelling pony, you know. Unless you've been living a really interesting life, <laughs> we're not going to king shame you. But if you think pony and fuck and the same part of your brain lights up on an EKG. Yeah, sure. If pony and fuck are interchangeable, then I get your point. But yeah. speaking of which, you know, that was profanity. I did try to make this classy and it failed miserably, yeah, uh, as you can see. We didn't we didn't make it very far. We made it like 30 seconds before it just went off the rails and it's never really recovered. No, so, and it's my fault, as per usual. Nah, I don't know. We both play in the same sandbox. <laughs> I just shit in it. <laughs> and I play in your shitty sandbox. <laughs> we have a new patron to shout out nice. at the end. Megan Coppola, welcome and thank you. And I do want to read a quick review. This one's really fast lately. They've been really uh, easy. Huh. And uh, this one is an appropriate one to read because of the name of the person who left it says, I have never heard anything so funny. The best podcast I've ever listened to. You're the funniest people I've ever heard. This is the best thing ever. Thank you to Fucks Hung Declined. It's F-U-C-H-S, but I don't know how else you would. Definitely fucks. Fooks? Maybe. I really wish it had been uh, swapped and it was Hung Fucks Declined. He's pro micropeen at that point. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, and maybe it's just a woman who's had some bad experiences. Seriously. And it's like, nope. 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 None. Mm. There was the, you know, we talked about ponies and <laughs> there, are, so, there are limits. So <laughs> this is the profanity episode. I mean, I'm not <laughs> against it. I'm just reminding you that you're like, I play in your shitty sandbox and I'm just reminding you this is where we play. This is what you do to me. Yeah, I mean, this is Your I influence, it just drags me into the muck. It's, it's all my fault. I accept it fully. <laughs> oh, my bad. Well, you know what? It's not because it's I really... did not think that episode was going to happen. So mm. I blame the Insomniacs and I actually put this one off for a week <laughs> because they voted on that one. Mm. And remember, I was just going through a really rough week. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Mm. So that was why I called an audible last week and was like, nope, doing something else. And, you know, it's fair. I, we've got a lot of huge, huge OT, uh feedback that was positive about the Scientology and about, you know, you know, H.G. Wells, whatever the fuck his name was. Um, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, why do I do this? I, at least, uh, hopefully, the people listening retain a little bit. <laughs> God. Uh, all right. You guys know what to do. Go out there. Give us a few stars on Spotify because they're somehow so boomer they haven't figured out reviews yet. That's fair. $100 million to Rogan, but you can't fucking do reviews. Sure. Um, and for the rest of them, you know, Apple Podcast, go to Instagram, interact with Shane. God, he's lonely. And um, otherwise, and forever after. Knowledge is power. Sleep is over fucking rated.